Uh, here in Genesis 3, we find our story. Uh, this is an essential part of each of our autobiographies. Uh, not only because um, Adam was our representative, not only because we partake of his nature, but because we have all, um, as human beings, we've, we've followed in lockstep with Adam and Eve's transgression. We have listened to the voices that have told us that God is not loving. God is holding something back from you that would be good for you. So why don't you assert yourself and just reach out and take it? Because, because you can't trust God to provide for you what you need. And we've listened to the voices that say that God, God really isn't holy. And so you can transgress and you can step over the line and there will not be consequences. You can, you can enjoy what you are beckoned to enjoy, and there will be no consequences. Here is the bait. There is no hook. And we have all asserted ourselves, following the devil himself, who would, have, who would take the throne of God from him and take the place of God. And we've said, I want to I be God. I want to run my own life. I want to assert my own autonomy. I want to be my own Lord. I want to govern myself, rule myself. I want to organize things on my terms and no one else's. And each one of us has ended up in the condition in which Adam and Eve found themselves. God had said that they would die, and there is nothing worse in all of the universe, in all of created reality, that is worse than separation from the living God. Death is a state of existence. It is separation from God. And there is nothing worse that can be conceived than this. There were other consequences of, of this behavior. Um, the woman was given pain and futility in her work in the family. The man was given pain and futility in his toil in the ground. Um, but this, this death, this separation from God, was the condition that we found ourselves in as we listened to these voices and asserted ourselves to take the place of God. You know, this, this death is a condition of lovelessness where we are utterly self-oriented. We see it in the, um, in the language of Adam. This woman that you gave me, where there had been harmony with God and harmony with his wife, now there is animosity toward his wife, animosity towards, towards God. Your fault, your fault. And love is uh, is driven from the picture and the world as we make the world revolve around me i become my own black hole sucking everything in and this this condition of death it's it's a condition of lovelessness but it's also a condition of 
how to put this, where we are always at work convincing ourselves that we are better than we are. And we seek to convince others. And we would even try to convince God that we are okay. Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together. And again, there was this shifting of the blame. It's, uh, it's you and it's her and I'm covered. And this is the source of every lie that's ever been told. This is the source of every legalistic uh, system of self-improvement. This is the source of every false religion. It's, it's the, um, the effort to bring about a veneer. It's only ever fig leaves, but it's a concerted effort to bring about a veneer saying, I am okay living on my own terms without God. So, so it's a serious um, condition, death, and this spiritual death leads eventually to biological death. Biological death becomes the gateway to eternal death, and a, a complete and utter and eternal, endless separation from God and all of his blessings. So it's, it's into this um, dire situation, you, you know, it's really... It's really worse than any horror movie could ever depict. You know, the, 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 um, the graphic things in horror movies include, you know, spirits divorced from bodies or bodies divorced from spirits. And, and they do their best to, to give you the jitters. But, but this, is, this is true horror. This is humanity staring eternity apart from the presence of God who is goodness itself and the source of everything good, they are looking into utter blackness, utter agony, utter torment, um, utter separation, utter alienation, um, utter pain that they have brought on, them, on themselves, unending guilt, unending shame, um, unending lovelessness and self-absorption. Uh, forever to all eternity. So it's, it's into this situation that God speaks. And he speaks to the one who, who introduced the suggestion to Adam and Eve, uh, whose voice Adam and Eve and we listened to, whose voice sounds so good, sounds so appealing, but brings us into this condition of, of death, despair, guilt, and shame. And, and what he says is utterly counterintuitive, utterly extraordinary. It's completely divine. We could put it like this. There in Genesis 3.15, we're given, um, we're given two holy mysteries. Now, a mystery in Scripture is something that's concealed in the mind of God to be unpacked and revealed at some predetermined time. So there's, there's these two holy mysteries. The first is, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It's kind of a divine riddle. So the God of the universe speaks to the serpent, the dragon, the devil, and, and he tells him, I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
Now, this is strange. This is very strange because the woman had decided to put enmity between herself and God. By listening to the devil, she placed it, the devil was already at enmity with God. She bought his lie and put enmity between herself and, and her maker. And so she deserved to continue in this condition of alienation and enmity towards her maker until the time of her biological death and then on into eternity. But God says, I will put enmity, I will place enmity between you and the voice of your supposed friends who persuaded you to adopt a self-destructive course of action. I will make you his enemy. And by, by, by doing this, God introduces hope into the picture. And the voice of God is always the voice of hope. Failure is not final. Sin does not have the final say. The devil does not have the final say. So what God does, is he stakes his claim on the woman. And he also pronounces his intention to win her heart. He says, she's mine. I claim her. I will win her heart. I will draw her away from listening to the enemy. And the, enemy, the, the, the animosity will be between us, me and the woman, and the serpent. Not between the devil and the serpent and me. So this is good news. But then more than this, and, and, and beyond this, in, announce, in staking his claim on the woman and pronouncing his intention to win her heart and make her his friend, God is, is demonstrating that what, that what the devil insinuated, that he was not loving, that he did not care, that he was holding back good things from his creation, that it's utterly false. No, he is love, and he's, he's love that, that they didn't know and couldn't have conceived of before. He is, he is love who provides everything that you need. But he is also love who, who reaches out to you in the midst of your failure, in the midst of, of your self-imposed darkness and despair and destruction and guilt and shame. And, and, and he reaches out to, to bring you close and to rescue you. So there's, there's another level of love that, that has not been seen in Genesis 1 and 2. So as, as God continues in this first holy mystery, this first riddle, he says, this enmity will be between your seed and her seed, between the seed of the devil and the seed of the woman. The seed of the devil are those who, who follow after him. In the words of the John the Baptist, they're a brood of vipers who behave according to the, um, the, the thoughts, the machinations, the intentions of, of their father. Jesus spoke of those who are children of the devil, whose father was the devil. Um, these, are, these are people who think, no, God, 
God doesn't provide all I need. He's not holy. And therefore, I need to assert myself. I need to fabricate a universe that revolves around myself in which I project a veneer, just like the devil, that I'm much better than I actually am. And that has no room for love. These are the children of the devil. And in opposition to that, God says, there will be enmity between this seed and the seed of the woman. Now, this, this seed of the woman, we, we can deduce because there is enmity between the seed of the devil and the seed of the woman, that the seed of the woman is the opposite from, from the seed of the devil. So, so we know that he must be love because he's in opposition to, to what is not love. He must be holy because he's in opposition to what must not be holy. He is someone who will be submissive instead of lifting himself up, which the devil did and our parents did and we do in opposition to God. He will lower himself and he will operate in dependence on God instead of defiance to God. We can also deduce that because because Adam sinned intentionally and therefore sin would be passed down to the next generation through Adam, that this seed of the woman could not come from Adam. This is a biological riddle because women biologically do not have seed. But nevertheless, there would be a seed of the woman. And and if he is to be holy, and if he is to be love, we know just from what we've seen so far in Genesis that, that the only one who remains pure in this scenario... True love and pure holiness is God himself. So, this seed of the woman it can be none other than God himself. He can't be anyone coming directly from the man or directly from the woman. He must be a, the seed of the woman with holiness and love, untainted by the defilement that's, that's entered into the world. And... And possessing the character that that puts him at odds with the devil. And by, by promising this seed of the woman, God's demonstrating his love. Um, again, by, by not just staking his claim on the woman and announcing his intention to win her heart and get her for himself and draw her into, into relationship um, away from the entanglements of the devil. But he says, I, he says, I'm going to get personally involved in the situation. Um, this must be God because only God can be untainted and have no and have this enmity against the devil. It must be God. And here he is coming close, so close that he identifies himself as the seed of the woman as one who will be bound together with the woman, come forth from her. That's love. He doesn't just say, I will rescue you, but he says, I myself am going to intervene. I'm going to become personally involved in this um, rescue, rescue mission. So, 
so first we find this um, this mystery of enmity, and then we find it, this mystery of bruising. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now the heel of the seed of the woman certainly was bruised. Uh, you can see the the devil slithering all through the Gospels, can't you? You know, he his presence is known very quickly um, as as Herod announces his intention to destroy all of the male children. But then, it, right as soon as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, boom, there's the devil. Just like he is here, right in Genesis. He's, he's, he's on it right away. Um, he doesn't waste any time. And, and he tempts Jesus, again, to, to, to think, your father's not holy, he's not loving. Reach out your hand to something that he hasn't authorized. Make the stone into bread. Use your power for you. It's something Jesus never did. He never used his power as God for himself. The devil says, just do it for yourself. And Jesus says, no. The devil tempts him, do something that's contrary to the word of God and careless, and there will be no consequences nor the holiness of God. Jesus says, no. And then the devil just comes out guns blazing, bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. Lift up your head just like I did. Say, I'm going to be number one. Every, and all of us have followed right in lockstep with the devil now. But Jesus said, faced with a more overwhelming temptation than any of us have ever faced, Jesus says, no. But that doesn't keep the devil from coming back. It says that the, the devil left him for an opportune time. And, 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 there, and you can see him slithering all through the Gospels. There are people and, and organizations that have already bought into his lies. Particularly when it comes to that religious veneer that has lifted myself up, has has pushed God to the side and has said, I'm, I'm better than I actually am. Now, this was the Pharisees. This was the chief priests. And, and the Romans had their own, their own system of, of, of self, of banishing God to the outside. So, so these, these begin to act like puppets on the devil's marionette strings. And here, here are the Pharisees. He needs to die. Here's the chief priest. He needs to die. And here's, and here, here's the Romans who have bowed to the devil's temptations for power. They say, yeah, I guess he's got to die. And of course, the devil enters the heart of Judas, holds out the fruit of 30 shekels of silver, and he goes for it, and he bites, and the snake comes in for the, for the kill. And he bites. And the death that is experienced is real. And there is defeat in the minds of, of everyone. The enemies all consider it a victory. None of the friends understand what is happening. And so for, for three days, there is apparent defeat. As the seed of the woman tastes death. 
the heel is bruised. But even as the heel is bruised and the seed of the woman experiences death, God is vindicating himself. The devil had said, God isn't telling you the truth. Uh, God said you will surely die if you eat of the fruit of the tree, but you will not surely die. But now God says, I am loving, despite what the devil says, and I'm going to, I'm coming in for the rescue. But I am also holy. I will not go back on my word that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Someone will die. In order to rescue this woman, somebody will die. And it will be my own son. And, and as he dies, I will demonstrate not only that I am loving, but that I am holy and I never, ever, ever break my word. You eat it, you die. All of us have tasted that forbidden fruit and someone has died. And this is how he bruised or crushed the head of the serpent. He crushed the head of the serpent first by breaking completely the, um, the power of sin. Sin entered the world through, through one man and death through sin. The devil introduced the temptation. Adam and Eve um, bit the bait. They, they fell into sin. And so sin came into the world. And from that point, there was no way had been devised to to give sin an exit from the world. Sin entered and it remained and it remained and it remained and it remains and it remains and it remains with no way of providing cleansing. But now someone came on the scene and he was taken outside of the city to the place where the refuse was burned, to an unclean place. He, as he died, as he was executed, the wrath of God came upon him. He was considered an unclean thing. Paul in Colossians said that he was circumcised. In other words, he was considered as an unclean thing and cut off and removed. He took the sin of the world on himself and provided a way for it to be excised from the sinner and excised from the world, cleansing had arrived. So that through this seed of the woman, sin is thrown into the heart of the sea. Sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Sin is thrown behind God's back and sin is remembered no more. Sin is removed. There is expiation. But then the, the, the head of the serpent is crushed as death itself dies. Jesus comes on the scene and death had, death had begun its reign. And death reigns over, over all mankind from the time of Adam and Eve on forward. The death sentence was pronounced. Death coursed through our veins. And 
Jesus come, came on the scene as life itself. Jesus came on the scene so that whoever believes in him might not die, but instead live. So that now um, biological death becomes an entrance into glory. So now the e eternal separation from God that Adam and Eve anticipated, that we all, apart from God, anticipate, now that becomes an anticipation of life, life, life. So Jesus comes on the scene and he transmutes through his death, he, he transmutes death into life on three levels. He says, believe in me and your, and your current existential separation from God will be changed into life. And he says, your biological death, that will simply be an entrance into life and your eternity will be life life, life. And so, where, O oh, death, is thy sting? Where, O oh, grave, is, the, is thy victory? The, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the, the, the serpent, the, the, it, says, it says in scripture that the, the devil is the one who had the power of death, but now the devil has been defanged. He's still squirming around, but he's lost all of his potency. Jesus said, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. He went down into death, wrested the keys from the devil who had had the power of death. And he says, now I hold the power of death. So if anyone turns away from me, they continue in their state of death. But if anyone turns to me, death becomes for them an entrance into life. This, um, this victory over sin and death was also a complete victory over the devil. Jesus said before he went to the cross, now... Um, now has come the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if I be lifted up, the ruler of this, he says, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The word he uses for cast out is the word for an exorcism, ekbalo. So Jesus went around casting out demons by the finger of God, vanquishing the power of enemy in, in specific souls. But now he says, by my cross, I will exorcise the devil from his sway over the world. And so Jesus said, I've, I've seen the devil fall from heaven. I've seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Through the cross, Satan lost his, his point of advantage over the world and his access to heaven. And there is coming a time when that exorcism will be utterly final and complete. And he'll be placed in the lake of fire. And there will be a new heavens and a new, or, new earth in which righteousness dwells. But for now, everyone who turns to Jesus Christ, just as surely as people were exorcised by Jesus during his, his, earthly, during his earthly ministry, you turn to Jesus Christ and you find freedom from the devil. So what about you? What about me? Um, 
Have you listened to those, uh, to those lies from the devil? You can just reach out your hands. It's okay. Nothing will happen. You really ought to because you're not going to get it any other way. God wouldn't have something good in mind for you. Um, have you lifted up your head? Say, I'm going to grab the steering wheel. I'm going to run things in my life because you know, I can handle it. Have you kept up a veneer of goodness, blaming others, blaming God, sowing little fig leaves of a system that, that keeps you looking good, even though from time to time your conscience will let you know that you're really not so good after all? Well, the Bible says that there is one remedy for this. There is one solution. And this solution is presented somewhat cryptically for us here, but, but nonetheless, clearly, the solution is the seed of the woman. He came into our world out of love for us. Although we strayed from him, we all went our own way, and we deserve to just keep on going our own way off into a dark and miserable, agonizing eternity. But he decided to intervene and stake his claim on his people. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the devil. Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has spoken over you? There is enmity between you and the evil one. Do you believe that when, that when Jesus' heel was bruised, he entered into our world in love on a, on a divine rescue mission to claim you. Because that's all it takes. Simply believe that the rescue mission was for you. And, and you are saved. When, when, he, when he crushed the devil's head, do you recognize that that was for you? He did that. When he removed sin, do you realize that it was your sin? that he carried away into the heart of the sea, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. When he, when he died and the, and the fangs of the devil were stuck in him, uh, giving him those scars, do you believe that for you he's changed death into life? Not because of anything you did, because you could never extricate yourself from that problem. But do you believe that his death is your life and that and that he is your exorcism. He is the one through his presence in you. Um, keeps you from the power of the devil. Keeps your soul. So if, that, if, if God has placed that enmity between you and the devil. And if your faith is in that seed, Jesus Christ. Who came into the world to save sinners. Um, what do you do now? At the end of the chapter, God does something interesting. Perhaps it's, it's, it's puzzling to you. He places cherubim guarding the way to the tree of life. He places the cherubim at the east of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What's the purpose? Well, God explains the purpose. He says that, he says that the man can't come out and live forever in this condition. 
It would be, it's, this is a tragedy. This is a cosmic tragedy. It's cosmic treason. But it would only be compounded if this man now took of the tree of life and continued for all eternity in this state of alienation from God. So God guards the way to the tree of life because to live forever in that condition is, is the worst thing imaginable. But the cherubim give us a clue, I believe. Where do you see the cherubim again in the Bible? You see them with their wings stretching out over the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, there were cherubim and a sword guarding the way to the tree of life. But those cherubim's wings were stretched out over the Ark of the Covenant the cherubim before had prevented people from coming to, um, to a place where they could grab hold of life. And there was a sword preventing them from coming to life. But now the cherubim's wings are outstretched. And, and the cherubim are beckoning, saying, when the, blood of the, when the sword comes down upon a sacrifice and the blood of the sacrifice is shed, and the blood of the sacrifice is sprinkled by the cherubim, now the way is open to life. Because the way to life now, for, for, all eternity, for all future eternity, the only way to life is through death. It's through the death of another. And so the way to, to take hold of the tree of life is through a proper sacrifice. And then angels appear again after the Lamb of God was slain to take away the sin of the world. And one was sitting in the empty tomb where Jesus' head had been. One was sitting in the empty tomb where his feet had been. There is where his body had lain, scarred and broken, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. The sword came down and the way of access was opened into life, into the presence of God. So, I'd like us to, to consider this morning uh, where we stand. Is your enmity still against God, or is there enmity placed between you and the devil? And if the, the enmity has been placed between you and the serpent, um, I want you to consider what you must do. There, there's a place where these, these angels, these cherubim are, there's a place where, um, where this death of Jesus Christ is recognized and where people partake of it. And this place is called the church. You know, it's the temple where the cherubim were. And we're told very clearly in, uh, in Scripture that, that it's, it's the church that the angels of God surround. This is the location where where life is found. You might say, well, how can this be? The church is, is full of sinners. Sure it is. But the difference is that it's sinners that know they're sinners. They've, they've given up on the fig leaf project. And they've, they've recognized that their only hope is to trust in this seed of the woman. And recognizing their own sinfulness, they've placed their, their faith in him. And in the Lord's Supper, they partake of his body and blood and celebrate his victory over sin and over death and over the devil. 
The means of entrance into that community of believers is very simple. It's just to be baptized, which again signifies the washing away of sin, participation in Christ with his death, and receiving life from him, and victory over the devil. So, if you're not yet part of a church, I would encourage you to to listen to the voice of God. Um, It's God who has said that he doesn't consider failure as final, that he... um, that he calls us to believe this this holy um, this holy mystery, that he he stakes his claim on a people, uh, and he proves his love by entering into our situation and taking the punishment that we deserve. He pro- he proves his holiness by not going back on his word, but by taking the death that he threatened upon himself for the sake of our souls. So. So join the, the community of the people, uh, the, the community of the redeemed. Join the community of the people who are as, as ridiculous as it might sound, who are actually friends of God. Let's.